guys can have a seat. Um, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Caleb, and I'm on staff with H2O. Um, yeah, and so today we're going to talk about, it's all about who you know. I think we've all heard that phrase before, it's all about who you know. Whether, you know, you're applying for a different job, or you're trying to get into college, or different things in our lives. It really matters who we know when we're getting those things. And we can debate whether that's like right or wrong, whether who we know matters in these types of situations. But this is how the world works, you know. We see that who we know really matters. Um, one example of this in my life is uh, one of my first jobs in high school. Um, I worked for a, a landscaping company, and my dad knew the guy who owned the business, right? Um, and you could be like, oh, well, look, Caleb, you know, nepotism right there, you know, just t taking advantage of that relationship. But, you know, they definitely made me work for it and did not make it easy on me. Um, but, you know, I probably would have never even heard about that job if my dad didn't know that guy, right? I might never have gotten that interview if I didn't have it. So that relationship with my dad and that guy mattered. Um, Another example, too, is my wife, uh, she owns a wedding photography business. And so, um, you know, in that business, it really matters who you know, and word of mouth really matters. You know, if you do a good job, and then somebody says, oh, this person did a great job, you should have them. That's what really matters, knowing those people. Um, and, you know, you can do all the marketing you want, but, you know, to some degree, the word of mouth cannot be beaten. Um, so, you know, I think this also matters in our spiritual lives as well. Who we know matters. Do we know Jesus? Um, this is the way the gospel works. We need to know who Jesus is. Um, we need to repent and believe in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. This is the most important person to know. Um, and we'll be in Acts today, uh, chapter 19, if you guys want to turn there. Um, and at H2O, we've been going through the book of Acts in the early church, um, as we're a newer church, we want to look to see how, you know, the Holy Spirit worked to help start the early church, and that, that's what, why we have been going through it. Um, and here in chapter 19, um, Paul is in Ephesus here, uh, a very religious city, a very uh, spiritually dark city as well. Um, so we'll be in Acts chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 20 today. Um, it will also be up on the screen here as well. Um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, that'd be great too. Um, so Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20 says this, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs, uh, handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was, whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they continued the value of them, and they counted the value of them, and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord 
continued to increase and prevail mightily. So here we see Luke is recording an interesting and maybe an entertaining section, depending on uh, your sense of humor. Uh, we see that God was doing great miracles here through Paul. And in, in verse 11 even, the things that Paul was touching were being used to heal people and cast out demons. You know, Paul was a, a tent maker, right? So most people think that these objects were his sweat rag and uh, his leather apron. Um, so, you know, even the sweat rags of Paul were healing people, which is pretty incredible. But this is really the Holy Spirit working through Paul and these objects uh, to heal these people. Um, and, and the apostles' ministries, I think, are affirmed by these miracles. That's the primary reason we see these amazing things that Paul is doing and Peter is doing earlier on in Acts. These things affirm their apostolic ministry and, and show their authority. And I think that's what Luke is doing here. Luke has an audience of us and of Theophilus, this guy he's writing to, that he wants to assure us of uh, the, their, the authenticity of their ministry. Um, and this is what we see through these miracles. Um, you know, and, and something else to think about, as you walk through the book of Acts, what you'll see is uh, there's tension between the Jews and the early church, right? Um, it seems everywhere Peter and Paul are going that they are being opposed by the Jews in the synagogue of that region. Now, that's not everywhere, but most of the time this is what we're seeing. Um, and if we think about it, in Peter's case, a lot of the time, a lot of these people would have known of Jesus' life and ministry, especially in Jerusalem. They would have been aware of what Jesus was doing. Um, and here in Ephesus, if you look at the previous section, you'll see that they knew about John the Baptist. They knew who he was, and they seemed to have some sort of familiarity with Jesus. Maybe not to the level that uh, you know Paul and those guys had, but they had some sort of, they had heard about Jesus, and they knew of him. Um, but despite having some knowledge of Jesus, or John the Baptist, you know, that's, that wasn't enough to save them. That's why Paul was coming in there to share the full story of Jesus and the Holy Spirit Paul's. Um, but here we also see that these sons had some knowledge of Jesus. They knew that his name had some power. They'd seen what Paul proclaimed Jesus and, that, and how they were casting out demons and things like that. Um, and, but, but they don't really have that personal relationship with Jesus. They don't know him um, like Paul does. Um, so we see the evil spirits know about Paul. They know about Jesus as well. But they don't recognize these sons of the high priest. That's how we know that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, and if we think about this time period and the culture as well, well, you know, most illnesses were attributed to some sort of demon or spirit uh, that was possessing the people. So there was lots of people who would try to take advantage of this and, and, and have professions as full-time exorcists. You know, that's not something we will necessarily see around today, but that was common practice at their time. Um, and so either these people or these seven sons were legitimate exorcists, or they were just, you know, kind of uh, tricksters who were trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. Um, that's where I kind of lean, but, you know, I think when he might be saying sons, he might be using some sarcasm here to kind of uh, uh, poke fun at them. Um, and you can kind of see that through how the demons react to them, right? They have no familiarity with them. And it, why would this be the first time that that is happening? So either they're fake, or it's also possible that God was using this specific situation. I think those kind of the two uh, lanes we could be in and how we're interpreting this passage. Um, but I just tend to lean towards they were, they were faking it and that God is, is doing a work through it. Um, so uh, we see that these men pay the price for messing around with what they don't truly know about. Um, you know, they are beaten and stripped naked by one demon-possessed man. 
and I think we might just skip over this and be like, oh wow, they got beat up. Um, but, you know, if we really think about this, this is a true display of force, because I don't know about you, but one guy cannot take out seven, okay? No matter how well trained you are, unless you're packing some heat or something, you might, you're not taking out seven guys. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, uh, but we ultimately see that their problem was they did not have any relationship with God, and, and this, they paid the price for, for trying to manipulate God. Um, they did not have the Holy Spirit in them. And they were clearly trying to use Jesus' name as some sort of magic charm or incantation here. Um, and I think we have Old Testament parallels to Israel doing this as well. Um, if we think back to 1 Samuel, they tried to take the ark into battle against the Philistines, but they didn't actually like try to talk to God about it and actually have him on their side. They're like, let's just take the ark in, we're going to win, because that's God's presence. We don't actually need to have that relationship with him. And what happens? The Philistines destroy them. They kill a lot of the Israelites there. Um, they tried to manipulate God into doing what they wanted. Um, so, and honestly, like, if we look at a lot of the Old Testament, this is what the prophets are rebuking in the Jewish people, that they have a false religion. They're externally serving God, but they don't really have a heart and want to seek to know him in a relationship. Um, you know, the prophet Micah hits this home in chapter 6. He talks about God doesn't just want animal sacrifices, but he wanted a relationship and for them to know him. They need their hearts to change, not just externally sacrifice. Um, so this is what we see with the seven sons. They, they, they know about God, and they're seeking to manipulate him rather than have a relationship with him. Um, and, you know, it's, like I was talking about earlier, this was common practice to try and use God's names as ammo against demons. Um, so Ephesus was a very religious city. Uh, you know, later on in history, Shakespeare even mentions Ephesus and how religious and uh, of a city it was. Um, so the reputation lasted for a long, long period of time. Um, and interesting, when I was when I was looking, doing some research on this, you can actually still find uh, magic books today from Ephesus that is the exact like exact same incantations people would have used at this time that these guys had. So this was common practice. And we realized that people knew about Jesus' name as far as Ephesus, even those who weren't Jewish or in the early church. So, so they, they knew about Jesus' name and power, and, and it was kind of practice to try and manipulate it. Um, and we could see how this event would spread like wildfire throughout the city. You know, Everyone's asking about, did you hear about those seven guys who got beat up by that one demon-possessed man? You know? And I imagine that their business probably fell through pretty quickly after they, you know, that word of mouth spread, you know. <coughs> You don't want people to know that, that your whole business is, is a fraud and that you've been beat up by this man. Um, so what is the result of these actions? So in verse 17, we see that God is glorified, right? People are confessing their sins and turning from their sinful practices. You know, They're burning their magic books openly and confessing their sins. Um, <clears throat> and we see that this would have had a great financial impact on them. At the end, it talks about how much silver that they would have, uh, the books would have been worth. You know, they're giving up what would have been very expensive um, in their lives for uh, turning to Jesus. And I think we see a parallel of this in the Gospels, but the opposite end. You know, the rich young ruler, Jesus asked him to give everything, you know, sell his possessions and then follow him. But then what does he do? He says, no, I'm, I'm a rich man. I, I won't, don't want to do that. He doesn't follow Christ, right? But here we see the opposite. People are willing to give up their possessions for following Jesus. So verse 20 is a perfect summary of the story. The word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily as Paul continues throughout his journeys. God is continually being glorified and the church is growing. Um, 
So we see more and more people are starting to have a relationship with God, and more people are becoming to know Him. Um, and so we see that in these passages, it's not enough to intellectually know God is powerful, not enough to know who Jesus is, just intellectually. And this is what we see throughout the rest of Scripture as well. We've got uh, th three passages kind of affirm this. And the first one is John 17, 3. And it says, And this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And then finally, Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. <clears throat> not that I necessarily have to convince you that knowing God is important, but I think just these three verses show that throughout the whole Bible we see this is what God wants, that he wants people to know him. Um, and so John is telling us that knowing God is, is part of the key to, knowing, or to having eternal life. And Jeremiah is telling us that the only thing we need to boast in is our relationship with God. And then finally, Hosea is telling us that he, God cares about our hearts, that he doesn't want some sort of empty external sacrifices, you know, not just coming to church, not just reading our Bible, but actually have that heart change. That's what God wants from us. Um, so clearly we see knowing God is important. So we need to ask, okay, how do we know God? How do we get to know him in, in a more relationship sort of fashion? And sometimes I think we discount knowing God to just like some sort of initial prayer where we're repenting and believing. But there's so much more richness to it than that. There's, there's a real relationship there. So we don't want to just uh, dumb it down to kind of just one prayer. There's so much more going on there. And I think we kind of have to ask the question, okay, how do I get to know a person? How do I get to know someone, right? And, and it's pretty simple. You know, you spend time with them. You talk to them. You just get to know them, right? You just, that quality time is so important. You know, I think, how, do, how did I get to know my wife, Abby, right? I spent time with her. We went on dates. I asked her questions. She asked me questions, you know. And as you, as you grow in that relationship, you want to know more about what they think. How, you know, want to know how they feel. And then you want to know how, what they're going to do about what they're thinking and how they're feeling, right? Um, and uh, after you spend so much time with someone, you, just, you can kind of predict how they're going to react to certain situations, right? Like, after you've been married for a while, you're like, okay, I know this will make my wife's day if I do this. If I, if I get her daisies, then she'll be, she'll, it'll make her day, right? That's her favorite flower. So if I do that, that'll make her day. Or this might make her laugh. Or this happened in her day, so I know that'll bum her out, right? You get to know and have that personal relationship. Um, and I think it's kind of similar with God. Uh, not that we're romancing God or you know, anything like that, right? But knowing God should be the highest priority and privilege in our life. Um, you know, we, we need to spend time with God, get to know Him. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're, this is not going to be an easy uh, thing at times. You know, sometimes we may have cold affections toward God. It might not always be easy. Um, and this is what we see in Habakkuk as well. He, you know, he's devastated knowing that Israel's going to be wiped out almost, essentially. And, and he goes to God and he says, you know, I, I don't understand why you're doing this and why you're using these sinful people. But because I know you and I have a relationship with you, I'm going to trust in you, not the external circumstances. Um, so, okay, more specifically, how can we get to know God? You know, I think that's kind of big picture. But um, I think J.I. Packer is very helpful in his book, Knowing God, very well named there. Um, 
And if you haven't read that book, I really encourage you to read uh, Knowing God. It's a classic. Um, and so he kind of lists three things on how to know God. Um, one is dealing with God, knowing truth and seeking to apply it. You know, are, are we reading the Bible? Are, are you seeking to then live out what you're reading? Um, you know, are you asking God to show you something as you read the Bible, or are you just opening it up and, and seeking knowledge? Um, and, you know, even if you've spent a lot of time reading the Bible, you know, you've been through it multiple times, you know, you, you should still cry out to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I know I've read this passage a hundred times or something like that, but show me something new. Show me how, uh, how I can grow closer to you. Is there a sin in my life that this is, is showing me? Or maybe we're reading something for the first time and we're newer to the faith, and you have no idea what's going on. We can still cry out to the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see. Um, but we must spend time in the Bible. It, it is authoritative over our lives. Um, and it, it's the main, one of the main ways that God speaks to us. Um, you know, if you're getting to know someone, you need to speak to them, and then they need to speak to you, right? Um, and, and we can't just be a church that lives off of sermons and podcasts and commentaries and things like that. We have to be self-feeding. We need to spend time in the Bible, uh, you know. The, the sermons and the podcasts, they should be supplements to your Christian walk, really. They shouldn't be the main diet, you know. If you're taking supplements, it's an addition to something, whether it's, you know, if you're supplementing vitamin D and iron, you're still going to eat your meats and your veggies, right? you still got to eat that stuff, so you still have to read the Bible just like that. Um, you know, I think there are too many churches out there that have spiritual infants, and we can't really afford to be churches like that. We need to be all in for Christ, seeking to read our Bible and grow, uh, grow and become mature in the faith. Um, you know, the pastors here, they, they want you to not just be dependent upon us, but be dependent upon God's word. That's what we want for you. Um, so the first thing that J.I. Packer says is deal with God. Know his words and live them out. Um, number two, he says, is personal involvement with God. So this means mind, will, and feeling. Um, so, so this is like the first one, but a little bit deeper. Are our minds involved with God? Do we think about God? Do we spend time meditating on his word that we've read? Um, you know, I think it can be easy for us to get caught up into different political things or, or different social media rabbit trails. And, you know, especially with, like, everything going on in Ukraine and Russia and stuff, it can be easy to just spend a ton of time looking stuff up online and just, I know I've done that, that's, that's something. And instead of thinking about, you know, how God is sovereign over that situation, we might be thinking just about, about how it affects, you know, in a worldly sense, how, how it might affect us. You can, so, so, you know, are we thinking about it how God would think? Is God transforming our minds? Do we, do we notice different thoughts creeping in that aren't of God, and are we combating them with the truth of Scripture? Um, Romans 12 says we are being shaped by God, and, and we need to grow in discernment. Um, so have we noticed a shift in our thinking, or our thinking and are we praying about that? You know? Are we thinking with a kingdom mindset? You know? Do we see people as either in Christ or out of Christ? You know, is, is that how we're seeing people? Not that we're saying people are less than us, but that they need to hear the truth of the gospel. Or, or then maybe we need to disciple the people who are already in Christ and help them to grow as well. Um, so our wills, are our wills in line with God? You know, Similar to the first point, are, are we doing God's will? But this goes even deeper. Do we want to live out God's commands? Not just are we doing them, but are, are our affections actually change our desires? Um, do we want to live out God's commands? Do we love what God loves? Do we hate what he hates, even? Um, 
When we know God, this is what we see happens. When you are in a close relationship with someone, your, your emotions are affected as well. You know, when they're going through something difficult or if they really don't like something, then you might even end up not liking it as well. That can happen when you're in a deep relationship with someone. Um, so so by, we need to, to grow in our will as well. So by watching God work, we can see how he reacts and how he feels about different things. We can do that by reading the word and just by seeing God work in the world. Um, and, and this is all done by the Holy Spirit sanctifying our affections and our feelings. Um, you know, the same Holy Spirit who is healing these people, the same Holy Spirit who has the power to cast out these demons, can change us and change our desires as well. Um, and, and, you know, one example that I, I noticed of this in my life was when I was in college. You know, we can't necessarily explain how the Holy Spirit changes our desires necessarily. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. But, um... When I was in college, um, you know, I loved spending time with guys in my small group. I loved serving on Sundays, but I didn't necessarily have the strongest heart to reach out to people that were outside of my Christian community. I, I was really inward-centered. Um, but this is something that, you know, I felt like God started to change my senior year of college. Um, you know, God started to give me a heart more for reaching out to people. And that was something that I didn't naturally have. That's something that the Holy Spirit did in me. Um, and so as being an athletic training student, I spent a lot of time with athletes. Um, and so while I was doing different treatments on uh, athletes, you know, you have a very captive audience because they're, they're stuck there while you're doing stuff to them, right? There's, there's nothing they can do um, when, you, when you're stretching them, doing an ultrasound on them, whatever. Um, so, but as I would do these treatments on them, I would also just, you know, try to strike up conversations and invite them to our fellowship of Christian athletes, you know, and maybe if I got a chance to share my faith with them as well. Um, but I remember one conversation I had with uh, some women's basketball players up at Bowling Green, um, and they were starting to talk about how they were doing like Reiki and stuff like that. Reiki healing, it's, a, it's this Eastern type of healing, and it involves these different colors and stuff. I can't do the best job of explaining what it was to you. Um, but, you know, they had asked me what I think about it, because, you know, I was doing these treatments on them, and I was like, well, I don't think they really do anything, and, you know, here's kind of why, uh, and here's a little bit about what I believe spiritually as well. And, you know, nothing radically changed in the team or anything, and not, and not like all of them got saved or anything crazy like that. But it was God starting to change my desires to reach out to other people as well and have a heart like his heart more. And that's not something I did. That's something God did in me. It's not that I'm so great. It's that God is so great. Um, so number two, we must have personal involvement with God in our mind, will, and feelings. And then three, knowing God involves grace. So, so what does First John tell us? God loves us because, or we, God, <laughs> let me say this again. Uh, first John tells us that we love him because he first loved us, right? Um, or in Romans, Paul tells us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, you know? So knowing God involves grace. Jesus tells us that to be saved, we must be born again. And that can only happen by an act of God's grace and through faith, um, so God knew the sin we would commit. You know, He knew that since I have committed, I am committing, or I will commit, right? God knows all that. Um, yet he still wants relationship with us. He still has the grace uh, to still want uh, uh, to know us, you know? Um, have you ever just sat and thought about how, how wild that is, that the king of the universe is willing to lay down his life for us, knowing all these sins we would commit, um, you know, uh, the God who has the power over this demon and, and the power to heal wants to know us and have that close relationship. Um, uh, you know, but I think a lot of times we just take that for granted, don't we? We just 
We just, if you've been in the church for a while, you're like, oh yeah, I know God, God saved me, but we really need to really repent of that, taking it for granted, right? Because we need to be humble before God. God didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that for us. So if we think back to the events in the passage of Acts, we see how important knowing God is. So, you know, Paul was only able to do these miracles because he knew God. You know, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? He had that radical shift, that grace was applied to his life, and he knew God. So he had the Holy Spirit in him, empowering him to heal these people. Um, and then we see the people who repented from their, their practices in these magic um, they knew there was no condemnation because they were in Christ Jesus. So they could openly repent of their sins in the church. Um, they started to act out God's will. Their desires changed. They didn't want to practice this magic anymore, right? Um, they could be open in the community of believers. And lastly, we see the church is growing. So people, people are going out, sharing the gospel with others in their community in Ephesus. So we see, see these people changing, even you know, Paul changing, the the local uh, church changing as they did these things. So um, they were doing all these three things that Packer is suggesting about knowing God. <clears throat> so what, what are the takeaways for us, right? You know, it can be good to be like, okay, yeah, I need to know God more. I need to have a closer relationship with him. But what do we do about this? Um, so I have three questions for us uh, to, to that kind of relate to Packer's list as we can ask ourselves as we go out this week and, and even further. Um, so number one, am I seeking to know God more through grace? You know, Do I have a relationship with God? Have you repented and believed in Jesus? Um, have you clung to the grace of the cross and based your entire life upon it? Um, these men in Acts 19 thought they could just manipulate God and do whatever they wanted with uh, Jesus' name. They treated Jesus as a spell and not a person. Is that how we treat Jesus, or do we actually have a relationship with him? Are we seeking to just ask Jesus for things? in our prayer lives, or do we actually praise him in our prayer lives as well? Um, I think this is a trap we fall into in prayer a lot, is just asking God for things. Not that that's wrong necessarily, but I find myself falling into this trap as well. Um, I think that makes our prayer lives anemic and very one-sided. Um, and You know, I see in my prayer life this, this can happen as well. I like to go on prayer walks in my neighborhood, and it's just there's a giant circle. So I just take my dog, and we just walk around the circle, and I'll pray while I'm doing this. Um, and I notice that if I'm just on, on, a, on a track of just asking for things, I get very distracted easily, just like asking for things. It feels very mechanical. It doesn't really feel like that true relationship with God. But, but I notice when I, I'm, I'm going with a posture of thanking God for things, and if I go in with a posture of, of praising God in my prayers, not just asking for things, that I, I, can, I can really focus more, and it feels so much more fruitful and fulfilling to pray when there's actually that relationship piece. Um, that's what we see in the Lord's Prayer, too, isn't it? Jesus is, is not only asking for things of God, you know, not just the daily bread, but he's also praising God, you know, hallowed be his name. Um, and if we look at the Psalms as well, this is what we see David and the other authors doing a lot. Um, you know, in Psalm 40, the first three quarters of the Psalm are Jesus, David praising God and telling how great God is, and then it's not till like the end where he's actually asking for something. So I think if your prayer life tends to just be more just asking for things, praying through the Psalms can really uh, change that up for you. Not that there's anything you know necessarily magical or anything about praying through the Psalms, but it can help change the pattern of prayer in our lives. Um, you know, David and the other authors realize the greatness of God and, and, and how they should praise Him properly. Um, 
And, and you know, grace is not only about entering into relationship with God, but it's also about uh, a pattern of repentance in our Christian walk, you know. Just because, you know, I have known God for years now doesn't mean I don't need to still repent of my sins. I still need to bring those to the cross every morning, you know. We don't need to be saved again, but we should still, you know, repent of our sins, uh, you know. Um, so that's number one. We need grace to know God. So, so how are we living out our Christian walk through grace? Question number two, am I seeking to know God more in my mind, will, and feelings, you know? Um, are we engaging our minds with God? Uh, do you seek to know more about Him, so, you know, or are you complacent in your relationship with God, you know? If I don't ask my wife how her day is, I'm not really seeking to get to know her more. So are you actually spending time in the Word to get to know who God is more? Uh, not just for knowledge about the Bible, but actually to know Him more and His character. You know, also, are our desires changing? Do you want to live in line with what God wants? Do you, do you notice that uh, the Spirit is revealing sin in our lives and convicting, it, uh, convicting you of that sin? Um, you know, are our feelings in line with God's feelings? Do you, do you hate your sin more? Do you love God more? Do you want what He wants more? Um, and we must remember that in Christ we are a new creation. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one changing us. You know, it's not us that are making ourselves better. God doesn't want a better version of me. He wants a new me. That's why we have to be born again. Um, so, so, you know, the Holy Spirit can change us into a new creation. So he can change our mind, will, and feelings. Number three, are we seeking to know God more through spiritual discipline? So are we reading our Bible? Are we seeking to live out what it says? You know, every time we're reading the Bible, we should be asking God to show us something. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us and give us new eyes as we're reading the passage. Um, and if you're newer to reading your Bible, that's okay, but you can ask these questions that can help you with your application, you know. Is the passage, you know, something you should pray? Is it a prayer to pray? Is it a rule to follow? Is it, you know, some wisdom to learn in our lives? Or is it a facet of God to adore? Um, there's a bunch of basic tools like that, but that can be helpful if you're having a tough time being like, How, what do I do with this? Um, just a basic tool for that. Um, and this is how we grow into mature believers. We read the Bible, and, and we get to learn how to interpret it more and more. And as we spend more time in it, God will grow us. Um, and, you know, I think if we're more mature believers, you know, those type of questions can seem really basic to us. And I think this is really a temptation in our lives, because um, if we just read the Bible to seek to know more, then we're not really treating God properly for who he is, you know, the creator of the universe. We're just seeking to puff ourselves up, right? Knowledge puffs up. But we need to actually go in with the habit that we're meeting with God, not just seeking to read and learn more. So, you know, as, as you know, this can be a temptation for me. You know, if I'm preparing a sermon or a Bible study, I can get interested in just the knowledge of it, but I'm not necessarily seeking to know more all the time in my life. But, but God can work through these times as I'm preparing these things to show me more in my life. So I need to make sure my heart is right as I go into this. Um, and just one kind of final thing to close on as well. Um, if you think about it, you can spend your entire life getting to know a person. And you still, still don't know everything about them, not every facet of them, right? Um, but God is so much more complex than us as people, right? He is so much more vast than us. But the God we are seeking to know more and more is the God that created the universe, right? He's the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who came down as a man, the God who died for us, and is the God who rose again and will reign in power. This is the God we want to know more. And 
you know, there's always more things we can learn about him. What he hates, what he loves, and the things that he does. Um, and if you really think about it, this is what we're going to do in the next life as well. We're going to get to know God more and more, spend more time with him, grow in our relationship with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to seek to know God more and more and glorify him for the rest of our days. Let's pray. God, uh, we just pray that you would, uh, you would have our hearts want to know you more. Whether uh, we've known you for two weeks or many years, God, just that we would have a heart to know you more. That our minds would be transformed to think more like Christ. To understand the awesome power of you but also realize we can approach the throne of grace boldly because of what you've done, Jesus. God, we ask that our desires would change, that we would love what you love more and more, that we would have a heart for the lost more and more, God, that we would go out and then live this out, God. We don't want to just be hearers of your word, but we also want to be doers of the word, God. Um, so just, I pray that we would continue to grow in reading the word as we go out, Lord, that we would seek to apply it to our lives, not just read it for our own knowledge, but that you would change our hearts and desires and our minds more towards you, God. And we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.